Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Science from Wired. Math's oldest problem ever gets a new answer. A new proof significantly strengthens a decades-old result about the ubiquity of ways to represent whole numbers as sums of fractions by Jordana Sapelovich. Number theorists are always looking for hidden structure, and when confronted by a numerical pattern that seems unavoidable, they test its mettle, trying hard, and often failing, to devise situations in which a given pattern cannot appear. One of the latest results to demonstrate the resilience of such patterns, by Thomas Bloom of the University of Oxford, answers a question with roots that extend all the way back to ancient Egypt. It might be the oldest problem ever, says Carl Pomerantz of Dartmouth College. The question involves fractions that feature a 1 in their numerator, like 1 half, 1 seventh, or 1 122nd. These unit fractions were especially important to the ancient Egyptians because they were the only types of fractions their number system contained. With the exception of a single symbol for two-thirds, they could only express more complicated fractions like three-fourths as sums of unit fractions, 1 half plus 1 fourth. The modern-day interest in such sums got a boost in the 1970s, when Paul Erdős and Ronald Graham asked how hard it might be to engineer sets of whole numbers that don't contain a subset whose reciprocals add to 1. For instance, the set 2, 3, 6, 9, 13 fails this test. It contains the subset 2, 3, 6, whose reciprocals are the unit fractions 1 half, 1 third, and 1 sixth, which sum to 1. More exactly, Erdős and Graham conjectured that any set that samples some sufficiently large positive portion of the whole number, it could be 20% or 1% or 0.001%, must contain a subset whose reciprocals add to 1. If the initial set satisfies that simple condition of sampling enough whole numbers, known as having positive density, then even if its members were deliberately chosen to make it difficult to find that subset, the subset would nonetheless have to exist. I just thought this was an impossible question that no one in their right mind could possibly ever do, says Andrew Granville of the University of Montreal. I didn't see any obvious tool that could attack it. Bloom's involvement with Erdős and Graham's question grew out of a homework assignment. Last September, he was asked to present a 20-year-old paper to a reading group at Oxford. 
That paper by a mathematician named Ernie Crute had solved the so-called coloring version of the Erdős-Gram problem. There, the whole numbers are sorted at random into different buckets designated by colors. Some go in the blue bucket, others in the red one, and so on. Erdős and Gram predicted that no matter how many different buckets get used in this sorting, at least one bucket has to contain a subset of whole numbers whose reciprocals sum to one. Crute introduced powerful new methods from harmonic analysis, a branch of math closely related to calculus, to confirm the Erdős-Gram prediction. His paper was published in the Annals of Mathematics, the top journal in the field. Crute's argument is a joy to read, says Jorius Petridis of the University of Georgia. It requires creativity, ingenuity, and a lot of technical strength. Yet as impressive as Crute's paper was, it could not answer the density version of the Erdős-Gram conjecture. This was due to a convenience Crute took advantage of that's available in the bucket sorting formulation, but not in the density one. When sorting numbers into buckets, Crute wanted to dodge composite numbers with large prime factors. The reciprocals of those numbers tend to add to fractions with a massive denominator, instead of reducing to simpler fractions that more easily combine to make one. So Crute proved that if a set has sufficiently many numbers with lots of relatively small prime factors, it must always contain a subset whose reciprocals add to one. Crute showed that at least one bucket always satisfies that property, which was enough to prove the coloring result. But in the more general density versions, mathematicians cannot simply choose whichever bucket happens to be the most convenient. They might have to look for a solution in a bucket that contains no numbers with small prime factors, in which case, Crute's method doesn't work. It was something I couldn't quite get around, Crute said. But two decades later, as Bloom was preparing to present Crute's paper to his reading group, he realized that he could get even more out of the techniques Crute had introduced. I thought, hold on, Crute's method is actually stronger than it first seemed, says Bloom. So I played around for a few weeks, and this stronger result came out of it. Crute's proof relied on a type of integral called an exponential sum. It's an expression that can detect how many integer solutions there are to a problem. In this case, how many subsets contain a sum of unit fractions that equals 1. But there's a catch. It's almost always impossible to solve these exponential sums exactly. Even estimating them can get prohibitively difficult. Crute's estimate allowed him to prove that the integral he was working with was positive, a property that meant that at least one solution existed in his initial set. He solves it in an approximate way, which is good enough, said Christian Elschultz of the Graz University of Technology in Austria. Bloom adapted Crute's strategy so that it worked for numbers with large prime factors, but doing this required surmounting a series of obstacles that made it harder to prove that the exponential sum was greater than zero, and therefore that the Erdős-Gram conjecture was true. But Crute and Bloom broke the integral into parts and proved that one main term was large and positive, and that all the other terms, which could sometimes be negative, were too small to make a meaningful difference. But whereas Crute disregarded integers with large prime factors to prove that those terms were small enough, Bloom's method gave him better control over those parts of the exponential sum, and as a result, more wiggle room when dealing with numbers that might otherwise spell trouble. Such troublemakers can still get in the way of showing that a given term was small, but Bloom proved that there were relatively few places where that happened. We're always estimating exponential sums, says Greg Martin of the University of British Columbia. 
but when the exponential itself has so many terms, it takes a lot of optimism to trust that you'll find a way to estimate it and show that it's big and positive. Instead of using this method to hunt for sets of numbers whose reciprocals sum to one, Bloom employed it to find sets with reciprocals that add up to smaller constituent fractions. He then used these as building blocks to get to the desired result. You're not finding one honestly, Bloom said. You're finding maybe one-third. But if you do that three times in three different ways, then just add them to each other and you've got one. That left him with a much stronger statement about how robust this numerical pattern really is. So long as a set contains some tiny but sufficiently large sliver of the number line, no matter what that sliver looks like, it's impossible to avoid finding these neat sums of unit fractions. It's an outstanding result, says Isabella Laba of the University of British Columbia. Combinatorial and analytic number theory has evolved a lot over the last 20 years. That made it possible to come back to an old problem with a new perspective and with more efficient ways to do things. At the same time, it also leaves mathematicians with a new question to solve, this time about sets in which it's not possible to find a sum of unit fractions that equals 1. The primes are one example. There's no subset of primes whose reciprocals sum to 1, but this property can also hold true for other infinite sets that are larger, in the sense that the sum of their reciprocals approaches infinity even more quickly than the reciprocals of the primes do. Just how quickly can those sums grow before hidden structure re-emerges and some of their reciprocals inevitably add to one? The Erdős-Gram conjecture was a very natural question, but it's not the full answer, Petridis said. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.